chapter 14. Last week, uh, we talked about how Jesus starts John chapter, chapter 14 with, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, there's, there's something um, in the way that uh, bi- biblical texts tend to be written, texts that are written to be memorized. Um, they tend to have these um, basically ellipses. You will have a phrase at the beginning and a phrase at the end. They're the same phrase. And Jesus does this um, his introduction is sometimes his conclusion. And when he started with chapter 14, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. This is the beginning of his great discourse. Excuse me. And this is the first part of the great discourse. Um, so in verse 15, he picks up and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another, uh, the Greek word is parakletos, um, it's translated various in your Bibles as comforter, helper. Um, I, I actually use the really awkward come alongsider. Um, not the most convenient English, but it's a little bit closer to the original. Um, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the, Lord, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I'm just going to stop right there because Judas, not Iscariot, John is quick to rush to say, um, is going to ask him a question. I want to talk this morning about the comforter, the helper, the come alongsider, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. Because I think it's so important, there is so much interest in Christianity about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And there's so many different interpretations of what the Spirit is and who the Spirit is. And it's, it's difficult to understand. Now I would, tell, I would, I, I would uh, admonish you to take a look at this passage and see how as Jesus is speaking, he, he is phasing Spirit, Father, and Son in and out. And presenting to us this, this reality of the Godhead, of the Trinity, that, that these three people share an essence. Now how that works, it's a mystery, uh, veritas and tensionum, um, the truth is in the tension. Um, the, this is, we, we cannot really resolve where does the you know how do we figure out what's the father what's the son what's the holy spirit john does a great job in presenting jesus's words of having the three of them phasing in and out but i want to talk about what john has to say about the spirit of god because i think it will solve a lot of the problems that exist in a lot of the christian literature and discussions about what is the spirit of god how important, what does he do in the lives of his church, of his believer? 
of his believers. Because there are some folks that say, well, when you get saved, um, when you become a Christian, um, there's like this second kind of salvation step that happens um, where, where you know, you get saved and you become alive and you're, then you're baptized with water. But then there's a separate, second baptism and that baptism comes with signs. You speak in tongues. Um, in the more conservative ones, you're just speaking in tongues. You're kind of talking and some of the bigger ones, you get, you're healed and you're transformed. And some of the really, really weird ones, you're barking like dogs and roaring like lions and, and divorcing your wives and, uh, and all kinds of stuff that goes on. And there's all kinds of lunacy that goes on about the spirit of God in the church. And I think John's simple explanation of the Spirit solves a lot of those problems. He first of all says to to his disciples, and I want you to see this in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now if there's another, what does that mean? There's a what? There's already one. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth continues and does not contradict the ministry of the first comforter, which is Jesus. The Holy Spirit does and teaches and guides us in complete harmony with the words of Jesus. So there's a very simple test when somebody tells you, well, the Spirit of God is moving me to fill in the blank. Did Jesus ever ask you to do that? If the answer is no, that is not his Spirit. That is not his Spirit. Well, people say, in the book of Acts, there are people speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they speak in tongues. Isn't that... Doesn't that mean that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we should speak in tongues? 1 Corinthians talks about when there's people speaking in tongues in the church. Shouldn't we be able to do that? And I would challenge you that the only reason that that gift ever appears is to proclaim the gospel to people. So if gift of tongues is a confirmation of your holiness and spirituality, that's wrong. It's wrong. The purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to confirm the message of Jesus. You say, well, I have the gift of healing. First of all, you do not have the gift of healing. God is our healer, and he uses some of us as instruments at different times. Now, I believe that God heals people. Anybody that's been around the church for a long time has seen God heal people. It happens. But you are not a healer. God is the healer. His spirit may choose to give life to something that is dead in the physicality of a person, but that does not mean you have the gift. That's actually where everybody gets confused in the book of Acts. The apostle Peter and the apostle Paul have a bunch of healing happening, and people try to buy their healing, try to copy their healing, and the response to that is, you have the wrong priorities. You say, well, the Spirit of God leads me to speak the truth into the lives of people. You better be careful about that. You better make sure that anything you're hearing from the Spirit is conforming conforming with Scripture. Uh, I have seen and heard pastors 
talk about how in counseling sessions with couples, the Holy Spirit had given them a vision of the adultery that they were involved in and the color of the room and the color of the sheets and and who the person was and what they were wearing. And I'm sitting there going, holy moly, I don't want to go down that road. First of all, it's a little pervy, but secondly, that is not what the Spirit of God does. Spirit of God doesn't give us multimedia visions into other people's privacy. Now, the Spirit of God may speak to us. How many times have you met somebody that was smiling and happy, but just God said, they need you to just ask what's going on. Hey, what, what, what's going on in your life? And that person turns around and breaks down into tears because they just need somebody to pray with them, to talk with them, to hear them. And, and that's the Spirit of God. Why? Because we're called to come alongside one another. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us. We talk all the time about how the church is built on the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. But the Holy Spirit is, is conforming, He's in harmony with Christ. Christ is the primary comforter. And secondly, He is the Spirit of truth. Now Jesus has already said earlier in the chapter, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I said that those things are one thing. They're not three separate things. The way, the truth, and the life, they're all one thing in Jesus. You can't have the truth, but not the way. You can't have the life, but not the truth. You've got to have all three. They're all together. Jesus is the Spirit, but there are spirits out there that sound true that are not true. They sound true, but they are not true. And the Holy Spirit only speaks the truth of Jesus. 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, By this you may know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That does not mean that they say, Yes, I believe in the incarnation of Jesus. Or, yes, I believe in Jesus. I have people all the time, let's not talk about the details of theology. Let's just all talk about Jesus. We can all agree that Jesus lived and he had a very important teaching ministry. Watch out for those people. Because what those people are doing is stripping Jesus of his divine power. They're making Jesus a moral teacher. A while back, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm going to, so it's okay. Um, A while back, there was a movement called the Red Letter Christians. And they were like, we're only going to follow the red letters of the New Testament. Now, first of all, I got news for you. The gospel writers did not sit down and go, oh, this is Jesus, got to switch pen. Those red letters were added by publishers, and some of them are inaccurate, especially in the Gospel of John. Um, and some places, some, some Bibles put them in the Old Testament, which is amazing. Um, but uh, I'm a red letter. I'm only going to live by the words of Jesus. Listen. If that's what God wanted us to do, he would have never given us the epistles. He would never have given us the apostles. And I got news for you, by the way. The words of Jesus were recorded by the apostles. They say, well, I only want to listen to the words of Jesus. You know what that is? That's somebody trying to get away from the complications and the realities of what it means to follow Christ. Because, yes, the Gospels give us the word of Jesus. They give us the Gospel, the message of Jesus. But the Epistles give us how to live as the church of Jesus Christ. And we've got to have both of them. Now, I grew up, I had a, we had a guy in my dad's church who believed only in following the writings of Paul. He rejected the Gospels. 
Only going to follow the writings of Paul. How boring. All the cool stories are in the Gospels. How could you possibly live like that? They're Marcionites or something. I can't remember what the name is for it. Um, Look, the scriptures are meant to be stereo-optic. We're supposed to have the word of God and the spirit of God, but they are always in harmony. And the spirit of God will always lead us to truth. The number of TV evangelists who have divorced their spouse to be free to do the ministry of the gospel is unbelievable. And the argument that the Holy Spirit inspired them to do that is nonsense. It's nonsense. Watch out for somebody, anybody who tells you the Holy Spirit told me to do something. Because when Jesus talks, he always talks about the unity of the Spirit and the Father. Look at how he describes himself in verse 20 and 21. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Well, how will you know that? Because the Holy Spirit testifies that. You will know that you are in Christ because the Holy Spirit, which is in harmony with Christ, is testifying that Christ has accepted you. You say, well, sometimes I don't feel like a Christian. Brothers and sisters, I do not feel like a Christian 363 days of the year. I don't feel saved. I feel out of shape and achy and tired and cranky. I feel... Feel like sometimes, you know, Jesus called us to love love people but not to like them. I feel like flipping people off when they cut me off on the road. That's what I feel like. But I know and believe I am a follower of Christ because of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Because of the testimony of the Scriptures. Because the Bible says that if your heart... Um, believes and your and your tongue confesses that the, the that God that Jesus has come you you are connected the Bible says the Holy Spirit quickens you he makes you alive some mornings I don't feel very alive um, some mornings I feel like it would be better off to just take a pill and go back to sleep but but you you are called to be this thing you don't have to feel it to believe it see I don't feel led. I don't feel led to preach the gospel. I never feel led to do anything but entertain myself. But I am called by the one I trust and believe, and therefore I do, believing that he will accomplish it. Uh, I, we had a conversation with somebody about something. They, they, um, they uh, talking about prophets, um, Actually, it was, uh, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, and, and the question was, uh, do, did most of the prophets go into ministry reluctantly? Wouldn't you? Like, have you seen what they went through? In fact, I do not trust somebody who wants this job. I can't wait. I had a friend. He was like, when I was a kid, um, like a teenager, he's like, I can't wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, turn, turn 18 and go to college, go to Bible college. I'm going to be a preacher, and I'm going to take on the world, and Satan better watch out for me. Meanwhile, I'm going anything but that. I, I will go in the Marines. I will kill people, and I will break things. 
Um, I will go into business. I'm, I'm pretty good um, with numbers as long as I have a computer to do them for me. Um, I, I am, I, you know, I, I'm pretty smart. I could be a physicist. I could be a this. I could be a that. I could be an engineer. I could make a lot of money. Anything but that. And God's going, no, no, no. I got a plan for you. In fact, I'm going to get you to... to um, to, uh, to find love with a woman that's going to constantly provoke you that your behavior is unacceptable before God. Not before her, before God. And she's going to teach you some things you're not comfortable with, but you're going to be married to her, and I have planted in your heart such a commitment to that covenant of marriage that you will never ever consider anything but being with her. And you're going to be the man that I want you to be. I don't want to be the man that you want me to be. I don't care. I made you. This is the way it goes. There is another comforter. And he is in unity with the Father and the Son. In verse 23, Jesus, um, uh, Judas, verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? So how are we going to be able to see you, but the rest of the world's not going to be see you? And Jesus answers, if you love me, he will, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. That does not, by the way, mean that if you follow all the rules, God will come to you. It's not about perfectly honoring. It's about keeping. It's about protecting. It's about being aware of that. How could David, a man who breaks eight of the Ten Commandments in one night, be a man after God's own heart? It is because despite his flaws and despite his sinfulness, whenever he was shown what God wanted him to do, he did it. We talked about Aperture, about the the Ark of the Covenant. Um, David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant to his newly conquered capital, Jerusalem. So he takes the Ark of the Covenant, which is a box, not much bigger than one of these speakers, but it's top-heavy. He takes it and he puts it on a cart because that's what the Philistines had put it on when they sent it back to Israel. So he puts it on a cart. It's riding down. It's in the road. It starts to topple. A guy reaches up to touch the ark. The guy dies. David stops the crew, has the ark put somewhere, and he goes back to Jerusalem and he goes, could somebody please tell me how God wants this thing carried? And they come back and they... This is one of those moments, right? So the ark had these, these... Um, rings on the outside of it that you're supposed to put poles through and that's how you're supposed to carry it. So they got it up on a cart. It's one of those moments where when they said to him, well, David, um, we're supposed to put sticks in those rings. You just picture David going, rings? How did no one tell me there were rings? Right? Like it's that moment, like you ever looked at something and saw a button that you didn't know was there? My microwave has a button to turn off the turntable. Never knew it was there. Been using this microwave for 12 years. I was like, how do I turn the turntable off? Oh, it's right next to the on-off button. I should have been able to see that. We just don't see things. How could David be a man after God's own heart? It wasn't because he was perfectly good at doing all the commandments, because he kept them. He guarded them. He made a commitment to follow and Jesus says to the disciples, you will know my presence when you make a commitment to follow my way. Not to keep them perfectly. I know you're not going to do that. But when challenged, when presented, you will be conformed. That's how you're going to see me. 
By the way, um, it's fascinating that he's talking about the Holy Spirit as the manifestation of his own presence. Again, that phasing, that tension. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear, the words that, word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He says, he says, when I speak to you, I'm speaking in the voice of the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to confirm to you what I said is the voice of God. And those who refuse to obey, those who refuse to listen, says, don't, don't tell me that they love me. I love you, but I don't want to listen. I love you, but I don't want to give it up. I love you, God, and I know that this is the right thing to do, but I just want to do my thing for a little while, and then I'll do the right thing. Secondly, the Holy Spirit confirms, as we're talking here, it confirms the teaching of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in harmony with Christ, but secondly, he confirms the teaching of Christ. Um, How do we keep God's word? We mentioned that. How do we do it? Well, Jesus keeps going. In verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. In other words, I've given you what you need to know. But the Helper, the Parakletos, the Come Alongsider, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will do two things. He will teach you all things, and He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's not going to give you future foresight. People are like, the Holy Spirit has given me the gift of foresight. I can see what is going to happen. Right? Suddenly I slipped into a southern accent. I don't know why. <laughs> Probably because most of this is happening. Like, people, are like, people are like, I can predict the future. The Holy Spirit is giving... The Bible never says, you're going to predict the future. That's not a gift the Holy Spirit gives us. What the Holy Spirit does is He teaches us and He reminds us of Jesus' truth. He teaches us and He reminds us of the spirit, the, the truth. Now, why is that so important? Well, I could teach you, those of, those of you that are in the aperture classes right now, you're retaining what? Three to five percent of what happens in those two hours? It is, and Bob jokingly said, well, he says the first week the fire hose was this big. Second week the fire hose was this big. Third week the fire hose was this big. But it's still a fire hose. There's a lot of information going on there. How do you remember what you need to know? You have to remind. You have to be reminded. It has to come back. That, by the way, is why we do the same things over and over and over again in church. You say it's so boring to do Lord's Table every week. If you think it's boring, you need to be reminded of the truth. You've lost sight of it. You say... We already sang that song this year. (laughs) Now, when I was growing up, we did not have music teams. I grew up in a church where there was a song leader. How many of you remember churches where there was a song leader? One guy who would get up the pulpit and usually just make it up as he went. He's like, let's turn to number 586. And everybody takes their hymnal and opens the 586 and the pianist goes, not this one, I hate this one, I don't know how to play this one. They make up a tune. Um, I was growing up, my dad had a standard that notes are there to hold the words on the page. 
Um, we, we, now, those of you that haven't heard this, by the way, the church that I grew up in, we did not have any musician, like a pianist or anything. Our music on Sunday mornings, until my sister got good enough at playing the piano to be able to play a company, and I am, I swear to you, I am not making this up. What's about to come out of my mouth is going to sound ridiculous. It is true. My dad had a band. It consisted of two guys who played a guitar. My dad played either the banjo or the fiddle. My dad is tone deaf. They do not make good fiddlers. Um, a guy named Tiny Klein, who weighed 400 pounds, who played what is called a gut bucket. A gut bucket is a wash tub turned upside down with a broomstick and a piece of rope. Boom, 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 boom. Tiny was also tone deaf. Tone deaf bassists are a bad idea. And our, our lead singer was a very short man named Jack in a cowboy hat, a vest, and cowboy boots. And Jack would sing, and he would just, he would, that was music. That was what we did. It was special music. It was, it was a, it was interesting. It was a way to do it, I guess. Um, but, you know, we, we get up and we get all this diversity and all this. We say, well, we want, we want different, we want exciting, we want new, we want to be... We need to be reminded of the truth. We can do new things as long as they remind us of the same truths. The problem is sometimes people get so consumed with the new that they forget. What is the power of the symbol on the wall behind me? There was a movement in the 70s and the 80s of taking symbols like the cross out of churches because we didn't want to offend people. Well, we don't want them to think we're overly religious. You are a church. The definition is that you are religious. Now, we know that religion is an empty word. We're talking about a relationship with Christ. But for the lost person walking through the door, the non-Christian walking through the door, they walk into a church and there are no symbols, no conversation about Jesus, of course they're going to be comfortable. Good news for you. The gospel is not about our comfort. It's about our discomfort. It's about our conviction. It's about the truth of the Word of God. Jesus says, the Spirit teaches and reminds us of truth. You say, I don't like, I don't like symbolic things. I'm not a big fan of symbols. I am not a sentimental person. But I like to be reminded of certain things. I like to be reminded every once in a while, especially now that Brady has retired, that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers still exist. Everyone will forget about them for the next 20 years until they do something that winds up putting them in the spotlight again. Probably not a good thing. What is life like, by the way, for a Milwaukee Brewers fan? A team that I keep forgetting exists. Right? We like, symbols are necessary to remind us. The Holy Spirit gives us things that remind us of the message of Christ. This is extraordinary, but he does this in every aspect of our lives. How many times, parents, have your children been a reminder of the teachings of Christ? They didn't know they were. And yet you 
saw in them something that needed to be reminded in your life? How many times we read the scriptures and the Holy Spirit leads us into some truth we hadn't, hadn't thought about for a long time? Lastly, I want to get to the last bit with Jesus. Verse 28. Uh, let me finish here. The helper, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So he goes back to that verse at the beginning of the chapter. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. And when he said that, what did they do? Where are you going? We don't don't want to lose you. We need you here. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Now catch this. Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than me. One of the reasons that Jesus ascended and went to the Father is so that he would not become an idol to be worshipped. Now doesn't that sound backwards? But I don't mean Jesus, the person, his physical presence. As long as Jesus was on earth, you always had to be worried about whether Jesus was coming around the corner. But Jesus says, you should be committed to the Father. My job is to bring glory to the Father. You're supposed to be living for the Father. Now, I'm in harmony with the Father. Again, this phasing thing, Jesus is saying, he's in harmony with the Father. He's connected with the Father. So to follow Jesus is to follow the Father. But there's always the danger of being obsessed with the feeling of the presence. Ever had this one? I went to church, but I just did not feel the presence of God. Right? I, I didn't feel the spirit. I think if the music had been a little bassier, I would have felt him. If there had been a little bit of healing going on, maybe I would have felt him. If, 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 you know, if the kids hadn't been so distracting, maybe I would have felt him. It's not about our feeling. It's not about feeling the presence of God. It's about knowing the presence of the God. And Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered, there I am in the midst of you. So it doesn't matter whether we feel like Jesus is standing in the midst of us. Jesus is here. And we are called to revere Him, to worship Him, to give our lives to Him, whether we see Him or not, because that's giving focus and glory to the Father. The Spirit realigns our priorities because look at what's happening in verse 29. Now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place you may believe and I'm not going to talk with you much longer um, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has no claim on me but I do as the Father has commanded me so the world may know that I love the Father. Then he has this little thing, rise, let's go up from here. This seems to be when they get up from the room and they head to the Garden of Gethsemane. What is he saying? The Holy Spirit is in harmony with Christ. The Holy Spirit confirms the teachings of Christ. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit realigns our priorities in the face of Antichrist. That's what he means, the ruler of this world is coming. And he has no claim on me. He's talking about the Antichrist. Now we're not talking about somewhere in the future, you know. They're making another Left Behind movie. A sequel. And it's got Kevin Sorbo playing the main character. You know how hard it is to me to look at Kevin Sorbo and not see Hercules? 
Now, some of you, you don't understand that, but this is really tough for me. Growing up, he played Hercules on TV, and I just have a hard time looking at him and not seeing Hercules. Um, it's kind of like uh, Lucy Lawless. All I ever see is Xena Warrior Princess. That's all I ever see. Um, Mark Hamill can play 87 roles, and he will always be Luke Skywalker. That's just the way it is. Um, so, so there's, but there's this, they're going to, oh, well, the Antichrist, we're worried about this one ruler over the great kingdom and all this eschatological stuff that we could go on that people have been arguing about forever. When I was growing up, there was a book called 88 Reasons Jesus is Coming in 1988. When he didn't show up, guess what? There was a sequel, 89 Reasons Jesus is Coming in 1989. How did that guy get published and not me? Um, he's not talking about a particular person. He's talking about the power, the Antichrist power of this world. The Holy Spirit aligns us with the teachings of Christ. He confirms those teachings because we are going to face opposition. The spirit of this world is not the spirit of God. We have to get that through our heads. Well, but there's so much good. That's right. There's something called common grace. Sometimes people outside of the faith do things that align with the priorities of God. It's just part of human nature. It's the image of God. There's... But the reality is the priorities of this world only occasionally align with the priorities of Christ. I'll give you a little aside here. Don't ever assume that your kids' teachers are teaching them how to follow Christ. And I'm not just talking about I'm not just talking about school, although if your kids are in a public school, you need to make sure you understand what they're being taught. And not just asking them, what did you learn today? Getting into the details of it. But I mean at church. I mean in a Christian school. I mean in Sunday school. I mean the YouTube videos that they're watching. You have to be aware that there are priorities other than the priorities of Christ. And parents, you have a job. You have a responsibility to stand. Kids, you're going to hate what I'm about to say. You might want to cover your ears. You have a responsibility to stand in opposition to your children's desires when they oppose Christ. And kids, you have an obligation God gave you your parents for a reason. You have a responsibility to listen to them when they are pointing you toward Christ. Jesus says the ruler of the world is coming. And you know the spirit of Antichrist? It can be present in the church just as easily as it can be present in the world. You say, nah, read Revelation 1 through 3. The voice of Antichrist can be reverberating off the walls of cathedrals and chapels and churches. It can happen. Anyone who's gone to a super liberal church walked in thinking, we're going to go to church and worship Jesus. And you walk in and discover we're worshiping something entirely different. But you can also go to evangelical, fundamentalist churches, biblical churches that should be biblical we walk through the door, you go, well, that was interesting. It didn't have a whole lot to do with Christ, but it was interesting. 
That was entertaining. That was engaging. That was fascinating. But when I boil down what they actually said about Jesus, I'm not sure it was anything. You say, you're being awful critical. I'm beyond that at this point. It's reality. The ruler of this world. Now listen, you, we want to worry so much about the Holy Spirit, and I swear to you, this is my last paragraph. We want to worry so much about the Holy Spirit and the signs and the gifts and the holiness and, and his, feeling His presence. Maybe what we should be worried about is the Spirit that I'm listening to, is it in harmony with Christ? Does it confirm His teaching? And is it preparing, realigning my priorities to be focused on God in opposition to the Antichrist spirit of this world? I wish that was the first statement in every church growth book. It would transform the way we think about growing the church and how we parent and how we lead. If we said the Holy Spirit is always in harmony with Christ, He always confirms the teachings of Christ, and it is in opposition to the anti-Christ spirit of this world. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, we don't need to feel you to know you're here. We don't need to have some overwhelming emotional response to know you are real, powerful, and speaking still. Give us the submission to you, our almighty God, that allows us to hear his voice. We pray this all. Holy Spirit, give us the power. Jesus, in your name. Father, for your glory. Amen. Go in peace, my brothers and sisters, and be 